We control two aspects of this experience, our attitudes and our actions. Outside of that, life is constantly in flux. Through discipline and vigilance, we master ourselves. Good times come and go. Tough times come and go. This is the end of the world. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Ebb and Flow podcast. I'm your host, Evan Britton. I hope you guys are staying safe, staying healthy, staying sane out there in this crazy time. Today, I've got a very exciting guest. My brother, writer, artist, Augustus Britton, here on the show. Gus, thanks for joining me, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I love this. Absolutely. It's a lot of fun to be doing this with you. And uh, I appreciate you kicking this thing off with me Yeah. as my first ever guest on the Ebb and Flow podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, um, you know, we're in a pretty crazy time, obviously, with the coronavirus and COVID-19, this whole thing, this right. stay-at-home lockdown, right. and we'll get into that. You've been a real source of inspiration, positivity, light for me during this time, and I greatly appreciate that. But I want to I wanna start with, you've recently published, self-published a book titled How to Kill a White Man, right? which is a fantastic read. I highly recommend it. We'll have the, that a link to it in the show notes. Mm. But just talk about, you know, let's, let's actually, let's kick it back to the beginning. You mm. know, how did you fall into writing? You know, because I, I always look at myself as being, you know, I really, I started getting interested in writing around my sophomore year of high school. Right. You know, and writing was always this underlying art form to my football career that I was always planning on falling back on. Mm. But you've really taken writing to be your craft, mm -hmm. really working to master your ability as a writer. Yeah. And take us through that process. You know, what's really interesting about it, you know, for the audience who, who of course, may or may not know, we, we grew up, if we're going to go like really even, even a step back more, you know, you and I grew up in this like just deeply artistic and like romantically inclined household. You know, our mother, this is all long story short, of course, but our mother being a uh, highly sought after magazine editor in New York City and Los Angeles, and our father being a multiple decade long worker at the Guggenheim Museum and also a painter. So I think we had through them and then through then it permeates out there's there's more and more people but you know, like within the household, we had such a interesting wealth of knowledge and different databases we were checking into and you know particularly like with mom being a latin major which you know that's just at Col at columbia at barnard you know that 
that right there is such a route to such a incredible yeah. education in particular with words yeah you know and then we had dad who was this very interesting roman romantic with literature like i don't even know if he read any of the books he was talking about but he'd be like you guys got to check out rimbo you got to check out stendhal you got to yeah. check out marguerite dura you know yeah. and then there's like uncle christian who's a whole other amazing character but you know so i feel like that kind of permeated but then back to you it really started with you man I don't know where you got your aesthetics and your, you know, because you were very into Brett Easton Ellis. Yeah. You were like really, you know, and I, I would hang out with you and watch you and watch your behavior. And I would watch the things that you were turned on, turned on to, you know, and like, hmm. I don't know if it was like an escape for you or a different character you were able to be curious about with all the Brett Easton Ellis, like aside from football. Mm. And then there was, of course, Bukowski, but Bukowski felt a little bit more like a dad, like part of dad's influence. Yeah. And then I don't know, just, uh, you know, I've always been in love and fascinated with, I don't know what word to use really other than like the romanticism or the mystification of being a writer or offering something up in that way. Mm -hmm. So for me, I was really influenced by you. I was really yes. like, I was like, man, I got to see what Brett Easton Ellis is or, you know, you were into Hemingway too. Like what's Heming, what's all that about? So that have was you read all of, have you read all of Brett? I've read, I've read, you know, Rules of Attraction. I've read um, Less Than Zero. I read the the one that his later one that you Lunar Park. I read. I thought that one was really actually, yeah, like not one of his more well known ones, of course. But yeah. yeah, so I've read a good amount of his stuff. Yeah, well, there's something about writing, isn't there? It's a really I mean, it's obviously very cathartic. It's one of these art forms that is, when it's done well and it's done properly, it's a pure stream of consciousness. You know, this experience that we're having, this internal experience, when you can just bleed out the thoughts that are swirling in your head onto a page, and then it becomes something else, you know. I mean, I've always been very inspired by you, man. And I've been very inspired by you and yourself publishing your work. And, you know, in this day and age of corporatized literature, where it seems like, unless you're like a financial, like a hedge fund guru or some fucking, you know, spiritual, you know, hobnob, you know, there's no room in the publishing world for people to publish their work the way there was, you know, 50 years ago, probably 20 years ago, even. Right. You know, right. it's become such a, just a diluted ocean of, of shit. Right. And people who really have something to say that's real and honest and truthful 
Uh-huh. You know, I think that it's a brilliant way to go to, in order to get your work out there by any means necessary, because that's where we're at, you know. Right. So to watch you publish How to Kill a White Man and, you know, what you're doing now with um, your play. What's the play called? Coney Island Whitefish. Coney Island Whitefish, of course, which is brilliant, which is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, thanks. You know, it's so, it's just like, it's, as an artist, it's what you have to do. You know, you have to hustle the work. You have to move the work. And for me, writing always felt like, you know, dad was a painter. Dad was an artist. Mm -hmm. Dad's a very visual, medium-driven artist films obsessed with films yeah obsessed with films yeah i mean i totally agree with you on that that our aesthetic was really molded out of you know our mother and father's artistic tastes right um and for me for whatever reason i always found my calling in writing it just i guess it was this most simplest form you know for me um yeah yeah. And talk about that a little, man, because you've really, you know, you've really developed yourself into an unbelievable, I don't know what you call, I mean, you're the type of journalism of interviewing, you know, that you do. Talk about that. Talk about, you know, because you've done, I mean, countless interviews with mm-hmm. fascinating people, everyone from, you know, Saad Guru to Edward Wiz Khalifa, uh, Hari Neff, the sort of cult icon, trans woman. Yeah. Um, Ed Ruscha was interesting. Ed Ruscha, I mean, one of the great contemporary artists of our time. Yeah. You know, and, but you really turn it into like this incredible narrative that isn't even really, it's sort of like, you know, the, the interviews end up being sort of a comment on this, this one particular aspect of the universe, you know, seen through the eyes of this character. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but also melding your voice in. And I think that's what the best mm-hmm. interviewers, the best journalists in the world, they all do that. You know, right. we can talk about that too, but you yeah. know, talk about your, you know, your feelings on the art of writing and the art of interviewing, the art of gathering something from an individual. Right. I mean, God, there's so much in that. There's so many different spindles off of. Take it wherever you want. I mean, this is, you know. Of Of course, I'm just trying to. um... So, you know, um, I, so Hunter S. Thompson, let's not forget HST here. Yeah. Okay? Well, I mean, yeah. Absolutely. So who you also, who, for whatever reason, you also was, was really, yeah. you know, it's interesting to think like an inventory of the artist that kind of like is in your trifecta. It's like Ellis Bukowski, Hunter, I mean, yeah. and then yeah. Hemingway and then, you know, I mean that was like your early oeuvre. Now you're now you're on something else. I think I I I know actually. But so HST was in there, and I always kind of was like I haven't really read a ton of his stuff. I've only read Hell's Angels, and then I've read some like articles he's written. Mm-hmm. But 
you know, I was always in an egotistical way interested in, and I wrote a little bit about this the other day, interested in injecting myself into the story, uh -huh. which Hunter did. But if you think about when Hunter did it, Hunter was doing it when nobody had ever done it, mm -hmm. which is why that was beautiful and miraculous and, you know, incredible to see because this guy was injecting himself as a character in the journalism. So I was like, when I first started interviewing people, it was kind of ego driven. I was like, let me inject me and make me seem cool, you know? Huh. Yeah. So I had written like the other day, like how those pieces are kind of horrible, which isn't really fair. They're not. It's just to me now, looking back, it's kind of funny and silly. But so like the first pieces, I would kind of do that. And I've written like dozens of them now. So I've progressed in who I am and what I feel like is necessary to say in the piece. Um, but first, I feel like I should also say how I got my first big interview. But yeah, uh, but, you know, so like as it progressed, first of all, I started, I, you know, I said, like, all right, this isn't about me. This is about who I'm talking to. And then maybe something will happen as it relates to me and my worldview and what my kind of, you know, so then I started asking why, why am I doing these? What am I offering? It's not about money, dude. I did, I did 30 of them for free. I mean, you know, I interviewed Wiz for free. I interviewed Ed for free. I interviewed Hari and Sadhguru. You know, I interviewed these people for free. So it was more like, let me, which is a whole other conversation, which people would probably be flabbergasted by. Now I kind of get paid a little bit, but it's not about the money. It's more about cutting my teeth and keeping the razor sharp as writing. And there's a deadline involved. So that's really good to have. Mm -hmm. So then I, I realized, okay, so it's about this other person. And then I'm writing it. Why am I writing this? What am I offering? If I'm interviewing somebody that's this pop culture thing, that they might not have anything to say that offers something positive, no faults of their own, because half the time the artist doesn't really want to be there anyway. Mm. So how do I tie this into something that matters that's going to help push the cultural and, and dare I say, I dare say global needle in a positive direction to where we're going to wake up a little bit out of this story? So, like, if you read my new stuff, my newer articles, it's all kind of whatever you were saying, which I don't know if it could be really put into words, but it's like how, you know, we've got this character of the subject, and then how does their worldview kind of, I mean, I'm putting myself into the story with my philosophy of the world, you know? where we where i feel like we are and where i'd like us to go which is a more more awakened and compassionate and loving you know so you know and there's a test i think in that of like watching the anger i don't want to be i don't want to come off as really angry or pessimistic or that sort of thing so it's been an interesting it's it's an interesting process really 
because I'm certainly not going to write this and not say anything. I don't care enough about it. <laughs> yeah. About the interview? I would never, I don't want to, see the good thing about it being free too, about doing the free work, is that it's kind of like, fuck it. Yeah. I'm going to inject my pleasant philosophy as much as possible, or how, how I can kind of promote that. So, you know? Absolutely, man. That's so who I was like your first ever interview all right so this is weird too it comes back to you my first piece was when i was like 18 or 19 i fucking interviewed you for the arizona daily star oh my god really yes brother <laughs> remember how and that kind of got some buzz that's like where i had to tell the editor to take it down and she said it's doing too well we can't take it down what was it about it was about the combine. I was doing this diary. Oh, yeah. And I called the combine a cattle call. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. Oh, shit. That's so funny. Isn't that a trip? Yeah. Well, I want to ask you about that thing you said, because I think that's really interesting. And uh, I have definitely gone through a similar evolution, you know, hosting Hotboxing. Yeah, doing I'm sure. interviews where you know at first it, it's like an ego trip you know and you go through these like these evolutions and these you know various versions of yourself because mm -hmm. you know i came into hotboxing after really coming through a, uh, a tremendous healing period you know there's a lot of plant medicine a lot of therapy a lot of uh big um, emotional healing paradigm shifts in me leading up to that from the time I came out of the NFL to the time I started hosting Hotboxing. Right. So right. I was in a very ego dis disolluted place, you mm -hmm. know. But, you know, the interesting thing about Hotboxing is I'm hosting this show that's really this guy mike tyson who's a cultural world global icon yeah. demigod you know right. might as well be like hercules or fucking you know achilles in right right this mythological figure so you know my ego was constantly i was constantly grappling with my ego of this is my show no it's mike's show then what is my purpose and you know wanting to to be respected and appreciated enough and then you know and through all that i came to this thing of just like my role in this little tiny world that is the hot box and podcast is really just to hold the space for this thing to unfold whatever the fuck it's gonna be mm-hmm you know, and the less interesting I try to be, the better the conversation comes out. Right. You know, because if I'm trying to be interesting, mm -hmm. then it starts to sound un inauthentic. It sounds dishonest. It sounds like I'm forcing it. You know, it's mm -hmm. like acting mm -hmm. in many ways. Yeah. You know? yeah. It's like you have to just embody the thing that you mm -hmm. are. You can't, there's no trying. Mm -hmm. The moment you start trying, you're actively not doing, mm -hmm. you know? 
And so I'm curious about what does that look like, that dynamic shift from injecting yourself sort of as a main counterpoint to the interview mm-hmm. and then sort of crossing, crossing that threshold of egotism into what is my true role in this? Mm-hmm. To shine a light, to hold the space, to offer this pure thing to the world. Right. Well, you know, you were talking about spells the other day. You were talking about, we had a real interesting dissection of like words and during our workout and... Going back to mom's Latin. Yeah, exactly. And I've been studying Greek and Latin lately. I've just suddenly become totally... Fascinated uh, by it? Yeah. So, you know, so we were breaking around the, the, you know, the etymology and you were talking about this idea of children and their spelling, they're learning to spell. Mm-hmm. And then you're, wait, but what is spell? That's, oh, they're casting spells with words. Yes. So I think speaking is sacred, man. Mm. I think communicating with language is sacred. We do it, we do it incredibly casually. Yeah. We do it just shockingly casually most of the time just because it's that's what is easiest to do but you know i don't i i like to be like because i like the last interview i did i was in a trailer with this actress one dude is doing her nails this other girl is like massaging her hands this other woman is doing her hair and then I'm trying to get sensitive (laughs) and it does it's just like what you know like can we just get in a room here and just sit and just talk and just like be just whatever in the fullness of whatever we're trying to say yeah yeah you know which doesn't I don't know how, you know, this just comes to mind off your question, you know, and um, so I think it's just sacred, man. I think it's a sacred thing of communicating. It's like Terrence McKenna, just that, that idea of like linguistic magic really sticks with me and words are really magic. They're spells and it's really, um, so I had this thing happen recently where I wrote something and I do a lot of sort of like faction or auto fiction you know, where it's like this autobiographical fiction thing, you know, whatever. Uh Surrealist. Yeah. And I wrote this story and it kind of upset some people and it upset some people that were like the subjects in it. And, you know, I feel like there was a total, there was the obvious story. I mean, I don't know if I should get into it, I guess. I mean, I don't know if the I don't know if it really matters what the story is. No, it's just that. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry to cut you off there. No, 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 it's all good. Because I would say it, I just don't think it matters. What yeah, yeah. The essence is, um, I had to check myself, and it was just another learning experience of what message I want to put out there. Hmm. Because it wasn't really like a loving 
yeah. story. Yeah. It was me being kind of angry at the world, albeit doing it in this, you know, linguistically maybe interesting way. Yeah. <laughs> but it was also like, fuck you. You don't really need to write this shit. Yeah. Or maybe I did, but I did, I guess. I did, because I did it and then I learned from that experience. I don't know if any of that makes sense, but No, it definitely makes sense, man. I mean, you know, this whole uh you know, this coronavirus thing has really I've learned a ton about exactly that point. Mm. You know, with my social media. Mm. You know, Instagram is kind of a way that I communicate with the world. I envision it as sort of a channel for my message out into the universe Mm -hmm. for that exact purpose of raising the level of awareness, injecting the cosmos with as much positivity and light as I can. Mm And, you know, through this coronavirus thing, it's brought up a lot of my mechanisms of functioning, you know, how I'm a leader, how I have a massive repulsion to authority figures telling me what to do, what I can and can't do, and what I'm supposed to be doing, etc. I have a lot of strong beliefs about your health and well-being and what that means and how we go about achieving that. And that's brought up a lot of issues during this time as well. And, you know, it ultimately comes down to, you know, I've made some posts that were sort of, I guess, controversial to some people or enough at least to spark an argument or a disagreement in others. And right. first of all, you know, it's it's made me realize that A, you can never have an argument with someone over social media, period. B, terrible idea. (laughs) You know, arguing when you get into an argument with someone or a conversation, an emotionally driven conversation, you're never going to convince anyone of anything in that instance because as soon as you get into an emotionally driven conversation, people immediately go into fight or flight. And when you're in fight or flight and you're in defense mode, there is no receiving any information. Your brain is preoccupied with proving yourself right. Mm -hmm. So there is really, and in the grand scheme of things, I don't think there is any actual convincing of anyone Mm -hmm. of your truth. You can never really convince anyone of your truth. You know, people are all on their own individual path, you know, and it takes everyone on their own path, their own moment of realization, their own moment of awakening, experiencing a certain truth, stumbling on certain information, etc., where they then have an opportunity to self-integrate that into their belief system, Mm -hmm. you know. And we've really gotten into this point, like people are so disillusioned with the experience of being human. Like you said, we speak so casually and people are so quick to judgment, resentment, etc. It's like that's just perpetuating this issue of toxicity in our environment and in our consciousness, you know. Right. 
So when you really look at like, do I want to spend time trying to convince everyone that I'm right? Right. No. Yeah. It's a waste of time. Yeah. So I might as well spend my time putting out the pure essence, the pure message of what it is that I believe in, showing them the doorway to have their own self-realizations. Mm-hmm. How you eat, how you think, how you move your body, how you breathe, how you meditate. You know, these are all tools. Like everything is just a tool. Give people the tools, let them find it out for yourself. For right, themselves, right. You know? Yeah. And yeah. as a writer, a guy who, you know, because that's a that's a balance too, you know. Like you're saying, like I'm sure you wrote that piece that offended those people uh-huh. out of a need to you had a feeling of need to be honest about a situation yes yes i mean that's absolutely true i did not write it i don't think it would be fair to say i wrote it with like malintent you know that wasn't really what i was actually writing it to kind of because i didn't you know i was writing it more to push the push the awareness forward Mm-hmm. But it's an interesting challenge of at least maybe in the earlier stages of awakening to feel out what's kind of the appropriate measures. If yeah. you want to share your awakening. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's an interesting thing to me that you just, uh, you know... <laughs> like having a conversation on, on social media or on Instagram, it doesn't work because there's no, there's no, um, there's no like recognition of what the other person is like doing or going through or no context. It's like, I don't like doing phone interviews anymore for that reason. I can't, I can't tell where you are. And I could say something, you could say, you could say, you know, the most banal shit and somebody could think that you're saying something mean. Yeah. So it's, that's, it's nearly, I don't know. We were talking about putting out messages on social media that were kind of like open-ended. They're not like, Mm -hmm. you know, clearly with some idea involved in it, but like not, it's like you said, we, we had that great, we had that great realization of waking somebody up and like translating that to the physical realm of like, you don't wake somebody up by screaming at them. Yeah. With the foghorn. Yeah. And the throwing a bucket of water on them. Yeah. You wake exactly. them up by saying, Hey, how you doing? You all right. <laughs> Just open the blinds and let the light in, dude. Yeah. You know, you don't even have to say anything. Yeah, exactly. Just just behave just behave some way and then they'll see it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, just look at it, man. Like, you know, people always people are always telling me, "Eb, you're so positive, man. I you know, you're such a a light. You're, you know, you always make people feel good." And I'm like, "It's not a fucking mystery, man." Like when I look at somebody and I see something good about them, yeah. 
or something they're good at, they're talented, whatever, they've got nice shoes on, mm. whatever it is, I'm giving, per, I'm giving people, you know, some sort of uplifting words. Hey, yeah. man, you look great today. When you fuel people, when you feed people's spirit with positivity like that, what can it do but raise the vibration? Like, this is all, you know, and like, we're so fucking, it's so absurd, this world that we live in, because everyone is so, you know, all the people on the left are so fucking science driven, mm-hmm. yet they don't even understand the actual science of the world and the science of being, mm-hmm. quantum physics, vibrations, mm-hmm. like all of this shit, it's still considered like witchcraft. Right. The idea that, you know, why is Tony Robbins so incredibly powerful and popular? Because literally the guy speaks every word that comes out of his mouth. He creates what he says. And that fucking literally lights people on fire. Mm. The way that he speaks. Right. Like people are ready to fucking scream and beat their chest after talking to Tony for five minutes, because it's how he speaks and the words he uses. If you go around talking like shit Mm -hmm. and saying a bunch of negative bullshit and complaining and whining, like that's, that's who you are. That's like your vibration. That's your sound wave. Yeah. It's a shitty song. That's your spell. Exactly. That's That's your spell. spell you're casting. Exactly. That's the spell you're casting into the universe. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And we've just over, we've overcomplicated it. You yeah. Know? We've yeah. totally overcomplicated it. Um, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Hey, for your listeners, there's this little kid next door who's playing with his action figures. So if they can hear, hear him, he's, that's all that is. Yeah, it's all good. Um, essence of joy <laughs> next door love that dude see look at that dude i know right um you know, i'm reading this yoga of jesus book and i wanted to talk to you about that i wanted to talk to you about yeah. it feels like such an overcooked thing but this idea of habits and mm. bad habits and good habits and you know you can throw a rock and you get some quote about change like you know get rid of your bad habits but it is it is a you know so that yoga of jesus book is written by uh paramahansa yogananda you might not Mm. be pronouncing that correctly but it's about how jesus came you know 14 to 28 or some say like 15 to 30 in that area no there's no record of where jesus was so but he was actually with yogis in india you know learning meditation really to 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 attain enlightenment and i just wanted there was just a passage i read uh, two days ago about habits about you know getting rid of your materialistic habits your bad habits but just on that thought of like it's really a practice it's a practice to do the positive thing. Yeah. And it is. Absolutely. You know, it's challenging. 
it's very challenging. It's a very challenging endeavor, mm. you know, and reading this book about like attaining enlightenment, it's like, this isn't really a joke. I mean, sure. It's some sort of cosmic divine joke. You could say that, but this is, um, you know, you really have, to, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's just, uh, it's, there's a lot there with it. And I feel like intuitively we know what our bad habits are, our quote bad habits are. Mm -hmm. But then I'm on this thing where I feel like we need to give ourselves time to move through it. Mm -hmm. Because I think back to the struggle for me with like, not a struggle at all, just the thing with like looking at motivational quotes, it makes it seem like you should just be there already. Uh-huh. Like, come on, man, just get rid of your bad habits. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, dude, I've been doing this for 25 years. Like, give me a sec. I, you know, let me, yeah. let me, I've been, I've been working through whatever I've been working through for how many years. Let me kind of now move to the, okay, now we've got the awareness that bad habits even exist. Right. So now we can move from that. Yeah. But. Well, that, that was true. You know, What's that? both are true. Yeah. Both things are true. It's absolutely a process, but also the process is part of the greatness. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, if you, when you, you can, you'll find greatness in the middle of process of feeling like shit, you know, whatever it is, sadness, depression, grief, anxiety, if you can just be present in whatever that is, you will, you are in the presence of your own greatness. Sure. You know, it's like that thing, like what you're talking about, because all of those quotes too are all spells in themselves. Right. Right. You know, when you read them and you're ignited with this possibility uh, in your being, that's somewhere lurking beneath all of your shit is this awesome being that you're mm -hmm. destined to be, that you know in your heart and soul that you're destined to be. Mm -hmm. The other truth of it is, is that that is there already. Mm -hmm. It's like Sadhguru, you know. I was just about to bring him up. Like yeah. we've, you know, we've... We've had, I got a chance to come see you interview him, which was spectacular. And then we saw him speak. And then you came and I had him talk at Tyson yep. Ranch with Mike. Yep. You know, and he's really, he, you know, he, he's almost disrespectful mm -hmm. of the human process. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, what he's saying is true and right also. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, you are already here. Right. It's like what Ram Das says, you know. And he talked, like, you know, Mike said, uh, you know, the, the meaning of, or the purpose of life is to improve yourself. Approve? Improve. Oh, improve, yeah. That's basically, you know, in Mike's view... Um, you know, and obviously Mike has had his own tremendous spiritual awakening over the last couple of years while I've been with him. 
think life has really come to this place where the meaning of the purpose of your life is to improve yourself to the greatest possible extent you can. Mm-hmm. You know, and then Sadhguru says, no, no, you're thinking about it wrong. There is no improving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it's like, no, man, both are true, though. Right. Yeah, you're absolutely right, for sure. You know, both are true because, yeah. but. The way that we perceive time and space, we have to have some sort of thing. But if you can sort of turn the corner on that to be like, because I've sort of turned the corner on that myself, especially in this, these last, you know, six weeks of being in isolation and like, it's been a six week fucking ayahuasca trip. Yeah, yeah. The shit that's come up for me and that I've done battle with. Like, there's been days, like, super dark days where I'm fucking run ragged, splayed out on the couch, can barely move because I feel like I've been through a war. And I did, you know, I did nothing. I had, like, Instagram fucking conversations and shit. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, I've sort of, so I've turned this corner of, let me just be present in whatever this is. Mm-hmm. But being present is the act of being 100% activated and in your greatness, whatever you're doing, you know? Because that's what Sadhguru is talking about. Mm-hmm. We spend our lives like out there, right? We spend our lives like 10 years down the road, tomorrow. yesterday six years ago and our resentments wrapped up in all our shit that we've ever done to ourselves and to other people that you know is lingering in our heart because we think that we can compartmentalize this shit Mm -hmm. you know but there's no compartmentalizing because this thing is all just happening and it's one thing Mm -hmm. you know you can't compartmentalize the trauma and the abuse you endured or put someone else through 10 years ago. Right. But so back to communicating, I mean, there's a reason talk therapy is a thing. There's a reason you talk about things. It's not called, you know, hair therapy where you go and massage each other's heads. You know, you, (laughs) there's a reason we have to say these things. Totally. And I think it's even more so now because the further away you get from the source, and I think the larger and vaster the kind of cosmic ego gets, the more shit there may be that you have to talk about and reason out. Yeah, yeah. So that's the thing about speaking. Like I could leave and be by myself, which is fine in a way because then I guess you don't really – worry or think about it no but you do you do your demons are always with you yeah so it's really important to communicate i mean it sounds like absurd but really i don't think people are communicating to the level of honesty and spiritual integrity that they would love to do that's why so many people are fucking dying of heart attacks dude yeah that's like the number one killer in the fucking U.S. Because men, humans, men in particular, don't understand this fact. You can't be fucking cheating on your wife, dude. And hold that shit in. 
and come home and expect to have like a loving, connected relationship with your family. You can't. You yeah, cannot. No, you're right. You're it's keeping, fucking impossible. As Joe Budden says, you're keeping it a buck right now. <laughs> keeping it real right now, dude. Yeah. Shout I mean, out to Joe. Yeah, shout out to Joe Budden. He was a great guest. Love That's Joe. awesome you had him. Yeah. But sorry, go, dude. I mean, it's so true, man. It's no, very you're true. right. You're right. It has to come out in some way. Yeah. It has to be acknowledged. It has to be realized. It has to be fucking spoken, shared. You need to come to terms with it. And how do we come to terms with it? Thoughts. This is like sort of the thoughts and the consciousness. This is just like sort of. This is like the fuel, you know, this is like, I was thinking about it the other day. This is the fuel. This is the engine that creates, that manifests, you know? So what kind of life do you want to have? And through your words, manifestation begins to occur, you know, Mm. and healing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think you're right on about that. You know, you can't expect to walk around with something on your heart because that's really what it is, you know? Yeah. Your mind will try to fucking convince you that, oh, no, 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 we'll just keep that. We'll keep that thing that you're really pissed off about. We'll keep that back here, deep buried. Right. Doesn't work like that, Mm -hmm. you know? Because really, at the end of the day, this fucking body, this is just a vehicle to carry around your whole life. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Cancer, heart disease, all of these illnesses, they're fucking manifested through your being. Mm -hmm. I know that's really hard for a lot of people to, to hear and take in, but... It is. It's a lot. It's a lot. You know... Why do you, you, you hear these stories all the time, you know, of people's cancer being cured when they go and do ayahuasca or they come to terms with something in their life and all of a sudden, you know, their stage four cancer is gone. You know, it's because it's all spiritual, man. It's all connected, mind, body, and spirit. They're all fucking one thing, you know, and our words matter. Like I said this the other day, you know, everything is matter. Everything you are and everything you see is matter. Particulate matter. Mm -hmm. It's all the same, just in various forms of density. Right. Therefore, everything matters. Right. (laughs) Everything matters. Yeah. It's simple. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, it's beautiful. I mean, it's good stuff, man. So, got to digest that. How are you doing in, you know, coronavirus during this time? I mean, we've been getting our workouts in. Yeah, we've, we've been, been working, working. out. Um, you know, I feel like the main thing I've just been saying is I'm observing. Uh-huh. Just observing. I'm observing whatever's going on. I'm observing whatever I'm feeling. I've been getting closer 
you know, through the, uh, through the observation of all these things that we're just talking about right now that we just talked about, you know, yeah. what do I feel like I need to say? What do I feel like I need to talk about? You know, what is the, what's the honesty of my being right now? You know, and, um, I think another interesting aspect of that is finding who you can talk to finding your shamans essentially mm. who you know because that's not everybody and it shouldn't be everybody and it doesn't need to be everybody you know so i've kind of been on that journey of who are my shamans who are my mentors mm. you know i don't know if i've totally found them yet but so, you know, through this process, I've been just getting closer through observation. I yeah. love that, dude. Yeah. Um, well, is there anything else you want to say before we wrap this thing up? I don't know, man. I could talk. <laughs> I could talk about that book or tell the first time I, my first, how I got my first interview or something. Um, well, you're going to be a recurring guest anyway. Yeah, man. So you'll be on, you'll be on more than once. Yeah. For sure. How long have we been going for? We've been going for about 50 minutes, my G. Sweet, sweet. Well, why don't you tell everybody about How to Kill a White Man? Yeah. First of all, fantastic title. How about where does that title come from? What spawned that? So I had just been kind of like collecting essays for a while over the past like five years or so. Writing your own? Yeah, writing my own essays. Yes. I think maybe one or two of them had been published maybe in, in like magazines. And then I was doing these readings at this theater so or a couple theaters. So I would write these essays for readings. So some of the book is that. You know, essays, short stories, and then there's like a, a few poems in there. Um, and I feel like they were born out of, this book was born out of like a curiosity of what's going on with the contemporary uh, way of being, and particularly with relationships, technology, sexuality, gender, and like expression and how to go about expressing each other. So they're like musings on that, really. I love that. And I'm a man, so it's a man's fucking thing. You know, that's why it's, you know, how to kill a white man. I've actually had more reviews from women than men, which is always really interesting to hear what, what the women have to say about it. I've been loving that. But, um, <laughs> what do they have to say? Some of them have been like, wow, this is a really great look at the anxiety and goings-on of how a man um, is in relationships. Like, the, the, the man's mind. Like, it's an yeah. interesting view of that. And some women were like, oh, is this misogynistic or what? Is this terrible? So there's that. You know, it's the perfect yin and yang of whatever it is. Love that. So it's great to get kind of both sides. But um, there was an alternate title, Money, Drugs, Palo Santo, 
and then <laughs> what a great <laughs> which is, title which is kind of what the book pertains to because it's like money this materialism drugs this spirituality Palo santo which is another kind of spiritual yeah the drugs actually is more like this kind of recognition kind of a thing and then the yeah the palo santo was this sort of spiritual aspect but then i had always i had always had this other title swirling around how to kill a white man and i had conversations with you about it and, and like going back and forth of like is this an appropriate title to do so then i of course i couldn't call it how to save a white man because that's yeah, not going to work <laughs> and then i couldn't call it uh how to save a man because it's a it's kind of like the 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 racial aspect was sort of part of it like this is this i don't know that just felt necessary in a way it's not a black man's story it's not a brown man's story it's not a green man it's a white man's story of whatever this is and that kind of cultural influence of what we think of as this dying last gasp of the canned goods white man, you know, mm. which I felt like this book was ushering in that I wanted to usher in a little bit or a lot of it. So I just said, I, I, I would kind of be copping out if I didn't call it how to kill a white man. And it's a dying to the old self. It's of course not a, how to physically kill a man, you know? Yeah. So, that's what I ran with. Well, it's a fantastic read. Yeah. Um, Thanks, brother. Everybody, you can find that at htkwm.com. H-T-K-A-W-M. H-T-K-A-W-M.com. I'll have that in the show notes. Yeah. And, uh, hey, man, I appreciate you coming on the show. Oh, hi, There's a Hey, it's from Sandy B. Love it. Love it. Um, hey dude. In a little bit. Let me finish this. Um, dude, I really appreciate you coming on. It was a really awesome conversation. Yeah. I appreciated it very much. Uh, is there any last words you want to share with our audience before heading out? Um, I think just have fun, have fun and <laughs> eat, eat organic, organic and drink water. Oh, and get your hands in the dirt. I was doing some gardening today. That feels good. Wise words, man. Yeah. Have fun, eat organic, drink water, get your hands in the dirt. Keep yeah, it simple, y'all. Yeah, go for a walk. Yeah. Well, thank you, everybody. Uh, this concludes our fantastic episode with my brother, Augustus Britton. Oh, and remember, words are magic. Words are magic, baby. Yeah. Remember that. This is the Ebb and Flow podcast. I am your host, Eben Britton, signing off. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Peace.